Are you the artist who hasn't painted since college? Or the author who never seems to finish the manuscript? Maybe you're the entrepreneur who let another year slip by without launching their startup. Or you're the singer who can't bear the thought of stepping out of the rehearsal room and onto the stage. If you're 40, 50, 60, even 70 years old and you're thinking, man, this sounds an awful lot like me, then you're in luck because I've created this podcast just for you. On this show, we're going to help creative types and entrepreneurs to kickstart the dreams they let go of many years ago when they got married, started a family, and embarked on their careers, better known as their J-O-Bs. We're going to deconstruct that negative feedback loop that's been fueling your fear, uncertainty, and doubt for decades. And finally, we're going to give you, the caller, and the listeners actionable takeaways, things that you can do right now to help put you on the track to living the lives you were born to live. At this point, the question we should be asking is, if not now, when? My name is Doug Taylor, and this is the Third Quarter Gut Check. Our next guest started dancing at the age of three, and she didn't stop until her hard work and dedication took her all the way to the MTV studios, where she appeared in many music videos, as well as shows like The Grind, Yo! MTV Raps, and Russell Simmons' Deaf Comedy Jam. And while her heart and spirit were up to the rigors of a dancer's life, her body simply was not. And that's a great thing for audiences, because Amanda took her talent, drive and dreams, and put them into her second act as a producer of TV and films. Today, she's an associate producer of the horror comedy Welcome to Willits. She's also an executive producer on the holiday feature film My First Miracle, which can be seen on Amazon Prime and Hallmark Movies. And now she's taking on her biggest challenge yet, the documentary film Indestructible, Baseball on the Isthmus. So before we get into the discussion, Amanda and I were talking prior to recording, and I decided to break this into two parts. So today's discussion is going to take listeners into her early life and how she transitioned from on stage to behind the scenes as a producer. And then in part two, we're going to bring her back and talk exclusively about Indestructible, uh, what some of her fears and uncertainties and doubts are. It's a great story. I want to really deep dive on this, and we want to talk about the excitement for the future, uh, fundraising, voiceover talent, and a lot more. So without further ado, Amanda Ramirez, welcome to the Third Quarter Gut Check. Thank you. I'm glad that I'm able to talk to you, Doug. Amanda, Les Brown said it best, the harder the battle, the sweeter the victory. And you know what? I can't wait for our listeners and me to go on this journey with you and see you knock it out of the park. I hope so. I mean, I I don't consider myself extraordinary, but whatever anyone can take away from this interview, I'm more than willing to share. Well, look, extraordinary or not, I mean, I think it really comes down to just showing up and putting in the work. You know, each of us has a unique DNA and a blueprint and, you know, a reason for being mm-hmm. here. We need to find that out. I'd like to think that the third quarter gut check is going to help some of those to, to find that out. But for you, when did you realize that you first had a passion for making films? You know, when did that start to really come to, uh, to the fore in your mind? Um, I think it started when I was very young. Um, my parents, um, like most parents do with, with young children, they, I wound up taking dance class, and from what I can remember, um, Saturday morning, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 50 this year, um, Saturday morning they would be shows like, or movies like Shirley Temple, Lauren Hardy, and they would do it after, they would, those, those type of movies would show, be showed post-cartoon time. Yeah. And apparently I just, like, I would be in front of the TV, and at that time I'm really aging myself, I think we, you know, we only had one color TV at the time. But I would be dancing, and my parents, when they left, we, we were living in Brooklyn, and they moved out to what's called Western Suffolk, Long Island, which is on, you know, um, it's in the middle of Long Island for anyone who's unfamiliar with it. And they enrolled me in dance school while my brothers wound up, you know, doing Boy Scouts, running track, doing that stuff. And it was basically to keep me occupied, get me out of the house, 
And the story is, is that my very first recital, and I'm really aging myself, apparently I blew, at the end, um, I, I knew my steps. I was only three. I don't think there was many steps to know, but legend has it, I apparently blew a kiss to the audience at the end and bowed like in the vein of Dinah Shore, which, (laughs) (laughs) which is probably what I mimicked at the time. Like, I don't recall it, but that's like an urban legend that, you know, I blew a kiss like, like Dinah Shore and like, you know, bowed politely. And, you know, I think it was, I think it was a bunny. I think that was my first recital costume and I like hopped off the stage like I was supposed (laughs) to. And, and that led to, um, that led to about, oh, so I was about three, that led to about 15, 16 years of dance, um, sitting, dance, tap, jazz, ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, I started getting to have more of an interest in the more classical form of dance. Um, it just interested me more, but my, I don't want to say my body betrayed me, but the way science is now or the way dancers train now was not the way it used to be decades ago. If you were a dancer... They really don't want you doing anything else now. If I mean, anyone has an Instagram account that follows anybody that does ABT, which is American Ballet Theater or City Ballet or Ballet West, uh, you'll see the dancers, both male and female, a lot of them cross-train now. Okay. It's not just dancing. So the whole mind-body um, concept is year-round. It's just not limited to ballet. You just see them. They're, they're doing some hardcore training to keep their strength up. And um, that, unfortunately, was not practice when I was dancing. So, long story short, I I, I injured I injured my knee um, when I was about sixteen because I played soccer at the same time as well as when I danced, and I just that was my Achilles heel, so to speak, and that I just kept re-injuring the knee, and I never got to the point where I could make it into a career. I did have an audition at NYU. I did audition for for Juilliard, but I was pretty much outmatched because, I mean, not to sound, you know, to sound like a crybaby, but my body kind of betrayed me in a way in the sense yeah. of the spirit was there, the body was like, I don't think so. So that just wound up being a segue into going behind the scenes, and I wound up being a theater major with an emphasis in stage management, and I minored in dance and English education, and my dream was to wind up basically working at the Met. And I want to say back then, it was when definitely you say who at the you Met, know. you mean the Metropolitan Opera House? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, okay. sorry. Apologize. Metropolitan Opera House, correct, and at Lincoln Center. And that didn't come to fruition because I didn't know anyone. It was a lofty dream. But again, I was of a generation where internships were just peaking at that point. It wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, a prerequisite. It was just anyone that got lucky that knew someone who knew someone and you got an internship, that was great. It wasn't necessarily mandated the way it is now or encouraged for college students or even some high school students to do the interning um, route. So, and then that led to filmmaking, which was a weird thing because I started working in television. I wound up 
and I, again, I'm aging myself. I was. I Amanda, wound up let dancing. me jump in for a second. You can't age yourself here. This is the third quarter gut check. Yeah, we're. You're fair talking. To, yeah, you're talking fair to people. Enough, you're the fair baby. Enough, fair listen, enough. both of the I two just of don't us. Know who's listening. No, no, no. Listen, <laughs> I can assure you, twenty year olds are not listening to this show. I can almost guarantee it, and thirty year olds are absolutely okay. not yet. So, at the youngest, the youngest, you're probably talking mid forties, late forties. So we're we're the babies of the fair bunch. Enough. Yeah, I'm going to be fifty four soon. You're going to be fifty soon. So guess what? We're the yeah. babies of the bunch. And so yeah, that's what I love about this show. I, it's nice to feel like I'm still a baby. That's right. But, uh, <laughs> hey, look, we got a lot of time left. We're just getting started. This, you know, listen, from your mouth to God's so, ears. <laughs> so what I was doing is I wound up dancing in music videos and during the nineties. And I wound up segueing that into working on MTV as a freelance dancer. So I would dance in different videos and then I wound up in different shows like um, MTV's The Grind and, and Yo! MTV Raps and um, um, Russell Simmons' Deaf Comedy Jam. Anyone that saw that show at the end and, and of the comedy show, they would have dancers close out the show. And I just, it segued to that. So. so when did that happen? When did you start to transition or make that shift from dancer in front of the camera and on stage to behind the camera, all things backstage? My cousin on my mom's side graduated with someone who had at the time left CBS and he was selling um, advertising, um, ad time for different programs and he decided to venture on his own and he needed an assistant. And my cousin asked me if I was interested. I submitted my resume, went into the city and I started working um, with uh, Mark Walton. he has worked at CBS. He had his own company, and at one point he was working for the Africa Channel. I don't know what he's doing right now. I don't know if he's freelancing, but a very, very lovely suite. Uh, he was like one of the few gems in ad sales um, as far as like demeanor. He's very, very low-key, very sweet man. And what happened was he – I learned how television programs get acquired – and how that process is. And then at one point, he decided to do his own pilot. Um, He wanted to do this lifestyle magazine for, um, and I think it was ahead of its time. It was called Caribbean Slice. It was basically not necessarily like lifestyles of the rich and famous, but it was showcasing different countries in the Caribbean and their influences stateside. And it was this pilot that we, sh- we shot, and um, the main into, um, it was this lovely woman that he knew that did local news, Donna, who was the hostess, and the big uh, guest star was Jeffrey Holder. And Jeffrey Holder was um, very prominent in, 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 in film. Anyone that was of my age, he was Punjab and Annie, but he also did choreography for The Wiz, and I believe he directed the film version of The Wiz, if I'm not mistaken, and um, he was a spokesman for 7-Up, and he actually brought over, I believe, the Tin Pan from Trinidad to the United States. So it's the Tin Pan, I think, is the first American instrument created. That's like any instrument we have, the guitar, the violin, saxophone, that's all been somehow ushered from Europe. The tin pan, anyone who's been to the Caribbean, that's the first American-made instrument that had no other influence. So just working as a PA on that show and doing set dressing because we had a no-low budget, I just found the interest of being behind the scenes, and I just found it just as stimulating 
as opposed to being in the front of the scene. I'm not opposed to being in in a movie or being interviewed. It's just for me, I've always I've had my father's temperament as putting puzzle pieces together, and for me, being creative on the back end is just as, if not more, substantial than being the star. Look, I completely agree. And it also, I think it also introduces you to other opportunities, things that you might not have gotten uh, involved with otherwise. Uh, Tell me a little bit about Laddie, uh, the story about Alan Ladd. You know, he is somebody that is virtually, uh, or was virtually invisible, unknown by millions of people. Uh, many of the films that wouldn't have existed without this guy. I mean, tell me a little bit about that and how you got started there with that process. I got approached from another sorority sister, college friend of mine, Amanda Ladd Jones, on a documentary on her dad, which is Laddie, the man behind the movies. Alan Ladd Jr. Mm-hmm. is the son of actor Alan Ladd. Alan Ladd Jr. was the CEO of MGM and 20, originally 20th Century Fox. He was an agent, started off as an agent. And I always kept telling her, she was very, very protective of her dad for obvious reasons when we first met. And I finally put two and two together who her family was. She, she never told anyone, which to her credit, she, she wanted people to like her for her. But I don't, I think I was the only one to pick it up because I was just a, 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 a big movie geek. I was like, hold up, your, your grandfather Shane? Like, she was horrified. I'm like, no, it's all good. I like you anyway. But seriously, <laughs> like, like, I was like, how do you not, like, your grandpa was Shane. You don't understand. Like, every man of our father's generation yeah. knows that movie. Absolutely. So I was like, wait a second. I'm like, wait, your, your, your uncle's David Ladd? Like, your aunt by marriage is Cheryl Ladd? Hold up. She's like Charlie's Angels. Yeah, what right, the hell? Right. Like, I was just like, and she's looking at me horrified. And I, and yeah, I kept that's saying, Hollywood royalty. why? She's like she is, and and you know, but I to her credit, she wanted to be known as Amanda, and yeah, I give her a lot of credit too. Not everybody would have uh, wanted to keep such a low profile with a family name like that and history like that. Uh, Amanda, I want to move on to my first miracle. I, I know that there's a long. Uh, backstory as it relates to some of the health issues that you have gone through in the past and things that have brought you to this film. Take our listeners uh, into how you came to be involved with that film. I think it was IndieWire, of all things. And IndieWire is a film and TV periodical online. That there was a movie being shot in upstate New York about, of all things, MDS. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah. I'm looking it up, and then I'm cyber. I basically cyber stalked the producer at the time. His name is Jordan Levine. I said, "Hey, I see that you're doing this film. I think that's great. I'm in the process of getting tested right now. Cool, cool, cool." And he's like, "Hey, well, we're doing this fundraiser on. I believe it was one of one of the. I don't want to say it was Kickstarter, Indiegogo. I'm not quite sure anymore." And I go on, and I just donated money, and then we started communicating and then you know and then he's like hey it looks like you're in the film industry this that and a third and and then i wound up being an associate producer on the movie and they shot it three weeks in in 2015 upstate new york um in the hudson valley what had happened was i was basically again a glorified pa i would drive some people to set um like the accountant to set um from our holding location because you know, all the PAs were out with the trucks, and I had a Jeep, and I was like, you know, as long as we sign waivers and we're good, I'll get you there. And and then I was, uh, we had, uh, at the time I was dealing, we had two child actors um, on set, but there was one in particular, his name, a brilliant boy, he's now like a teenager, I can't believe it, um, 
Elijah, who um, I would just make sure that, you know, he was on set certain times. Okay, he's got to pull his homework, and I would just communicate with his mom and his tutor and make sure that everything was on the up and up. And in the process of doing that, I was an associate producer, and I was like, okay, I was fine. And then I get the phone call because um, we needed funding. And Mm. the reason we needed funding was we shot in, I want to say, 20-degree weather in this lovely, anyone who's seen the movie, and if you, you know, if you can, you know, not, you know, bring a box, a box of tissues. Um, well, I'll tell you, Amanda, I'll tell you right now, I, I saw some of the trailer and just the opening line, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to play a quick, uh, quick clip of the opening of that trailer. Sure. I'm 17. I have a rare type of cancer called myelodysplastic syndrome. I'm dying. There has to be something else that we can do before we find a donor. She needs a transplant now. Dear God, I know you work in mysterious ways, but I pray that this time it's not so mysterious. What's your name? We just have to believe that God has a plan. God, you need to open your eyes and look around, Heidi. Our daughter is dying. Babe, it's going to be okay. You just have to keep a little faith. And of course it goes, you know, longer for another minute or so, but I was like, ooh, man, oh man, got the chills and... You know, that hits, yeah, hits I, home. I, mean, I, I, I wound up being on the film because, you know, they sent me the script. Um, once I was signed on as an associate, it's like, hey, do you mind if I get the script? And like, no problem. And then I, in my head, because I knew they wanted to shoot it as a feature, and I kept, I said, I don't want to be that person or be that nag. But I think my advertising background, working, you know, in advertising at that point for like 18, 20 years at the time, I said, this would be, I said, I know you want to make this a feature, but did you ever want to pitch it as a TV movie? Mm-hmm. And then the director, Rudy Luna, who, again, great, I mean, his writing and the way he directed was so subtle and lovely. He was like, yeah, you know, listen, I, he was, I'm down, I'm fine, I'm good with it. So in the process of me becoming an executive producer, it was literally financial. What had happened was that we were shot, shooting in, like, I don't want to say sub-zero weather, but it was cold. It was very, very cold. And it was this lovely scene, I believe, with Sean Patrick Flannery, who played young Indiana Jones, Boondock Saints. Um, he was in Dexter. Um, and they try to rack focus. And anyone who's not familiar with film, rack focus is to go from either the closest point in the camera shot to the furthest or in reverse. In the process of rack focusing, it was so cold that the lens cracked. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, hello. And, and it was like, oi. So, you know, they were just scrambling to get money because they had to go and get it, and they needed it. And then what they want to... I believe what happened was they wound up using money in post that they saved for post-production to get a new camera. Well, then they lost money in post. And then they approached me, and I thought about it, and I said, you know, this is money, this is money, I might not get back. But I believed in the project so much, and the thing was, this was something that my father... And it was like these little subtle hints within the movie. Kenny Lofton is one of the executive producers, and anyone who's familiar with Major League Baseball, Kenny Lofton, he's played about four teams, but the one being the Cleveland Indians. That was That's his claim to fame. And it was funny, because when I finally met him... I said, oh, you know, I'm a big fan. He was like, he just kind of looked at me and gave me the side eye, and I was like, I'm a big baseball fan. I go, and he goes, really? And I said, he was like, oh, you're from New York. I said, no, 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 I'm not a Yankees fan. I'm a Mets fan. 
I said, but I know you played for the Yankees for a year. And he's like, he goes, did you stalk me? I go, no. I said, when you were coming up, my father was alive at the time, and he said, you had a lot of promise. And I said, you know, I follow certain baseball players. And where the connection was, um, and like I said, I don't know if you believe in a how probably was weird. My father's a huge baseball fan. My mom is from Panama. He's good friends with Rod Carew, who was born in Gatun, which is the next town over from where my mother grew up. So we start talking, and then it was this whole connection with through baseball. And I just started laughing. It was, what's the matter? I go, my dad was a huge baseball fan. That's how I became a baseball fan. Because he's like, you know a lot about baseball. I'm like, well, it's because of my dad. And I go, the irony is my dad had some form of this. And then turns out Rudy's father succumbed to this particular uh, disease. And, you know, he based the character around his niece who thankfully doesn't have it, but it was like this weird, like, connecting the dots as far as people that we knew. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing is, this was the first time I met these people, and I was like, oh, you know so-and-so? How do you know so-and-so? And And it was just one of those things where it was was kismet in a way. So when I I was on the set and when they approached me, the point being, I was like, I got to see this through. And my mother was so cute because my mother's a big holiday movie fan. When I was telling her the premise, she's like, it sounds like a Lifetime movie, but better. Or a Hallmark movie, but better. And I said, you know, do you think it's... And I said to her, I said, I have to invest money. And I said, said, Ma, not that I need your permission, but do you think it's worth it? And the reason I approached her with it was because up until this point, my mother was always fearful of show business. You're not going to make money. You have a child. You have things to consider. And this was like the one time she's like, go for it. She's like, it's going to be worth, you know, it's, it's worth the risk. Yeah. And I, you know, like, like I said, I was an adult, but I said, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then when we, we didn't have, we still don't have a technically a premiere, but I was having various screenage to raise different money for post-production but I was given permission from the rest of production to shoot it. And then we had a screening at my college, which is, like I said, Long Island University. And they were, you know, the theater department, my then mentor, now director, Cara Gargano, Dr. Cara Gargano was like, well, you know, we'll have a screening. Don't worry. I have your back, which was amazing. And I got some kids that were there, some students and everyone said the same thing. It's like it's like a, like this is like a movie I would see with my parents, but this is a really good movie. But like you know, usually these movies are corny, but this is actually good. So I was getting that type of feedback, and um, it got shelved for a while. And that's that's the one thing about this business I will tell people: it is a lot of hurry up and wait, Absolutely. and then there there might be a long wait. Oh yeah, before anything happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's it a, it's up that way again, in, and then there's a lull. Any part of the business, it's that way. I come from the music side of the business. It's absolutely that. And it's one, literally one guy or gal's decision to say, you know what, that's just going to sit shelled for a while for any number of reasons. You know, And oftentimes, exactly. you never find out what that reason actually really truly was. So, Amanda, let's bring this back around a second because you know this show is for people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s that, that are stuck, right? They're in a place in their mm-hmm. life that they can't get out of their own way. You sound like the exact opposite of this. I mean, you are so close in so many ways and have so much history and, and so much experience. No one's told me I've sucked. So, right. so you got to so just keep <laughs> not, doing it. That's not right. that I mean, people have, but I'm just saying, I guess that's where it comes from. It's like, you know, and like I said, my mentor, Louis Moreno said, he told me it was very, very sweet. 
he says, I view you as a mid-level producer. And I just looked at him, and he goes, it's not an insult. I go, I didn't think it was an insult, but mid-level. And what I thought was a very, very sweet thing that he said to me, and he said to me with a straight face, he goes, you're just one film away. Exactly. From writing your own ticket. Exactly. And Yep, you just got to keep doing it. It's like, it's like, fingers crossed, I'm making the sign of, I'm lighting the candle tonight, but yep. the way he said, because there wasn't, he wasn't being, and he's another guy that's straight from the hip type of thing. He's lovely, yep. but he'll tell you, like, that's not good. But you know, when he said that to here, me, he goes, Amanda, in my notes, I have written, you're so close. In my notes, I'm literally looking, I'm going to actually take a picture, <laughs> I'm going to make it part of the the, uh, the show notes, but I'm writing, you're so close, and that was one of the points that I was going to make, that you, yeah. you have so much around you, I agree 100% with him. You were literally one step away from this thing connecting and making everything worthwhile because I believe you've been building, you know, the fundamental building blocks have been laid and the foundation has been laid and you've done the right thing. You've done the right thing by your son. You've done the right thing by your father. You've done the right thing across the board and it's your time now. Now is your time. You know, if not now, when? Wow. Okay. <laughs> right? I'm not, it's, just, it's, it's just overwhelming to hear it's because like, it's one thing when it's someone that you know, like Louie. But it's just to hear to hear that from you. It's 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 pleasant. Don't get me wrong. It's just you know. I think that's another thing. And I think that's my weakness as artists. We're hypercritical. Yes, absolutely. So that's I think that's one thing that 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 I need to work on is not being so hypercritical because you're you know. It's just one of those things that, and then that's the dancer also because nothing is perfect. You know, you have to strive for excellence. Nothing is perfect, but you're always striving for that. That 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 level closeness to perfection. So yeah, but you know what's interesting I think about that's perfection. Where I'm in shock with that with that statement. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be. How do I say this? I'm not trying to feign humility. It's mm-hmm. just. It's just. This is. I just like being creative, and hopefully, you know, I can get paid a decent amount to do it. So you know, or or even the reward of it all. You know, I just hope this leads to other projects because I do have ideas. You know biopics of certain people, stories that, you know, are not necessarily told, you know, and I've always, you know, I just, I figured, you know, it, I, I could, if I can't do it in front of the camera, if I can't dance anymore, there's got to be a way to figure out to, to, to work my way in. And I guess. It's not a matter of working your way in. You're in. You, you are done. I, I think, you know, what? a lot of times I see, I will introduce somebody and they will stop and they'll go, oh, wait, well, was that me? I think it's just, uh, it's, it's, I think my fear is just, it, maybe it is success because I'm used to not necessarily the failure, but it's like, okay, plan B, plan C. And it's, it's one thing that my father used to say, you know, he didn't coin the phrase, but he would, he would say a few things, but he would say, be careful what you wish for. Not that you, it might happen. And he goes, it will happen. Then what? Amanda, so, that's very real. Listen, self self sabotage is is very very real, yeah, and a lot of people yeah, it do it. Real. They yeah. get so close, and they do whatever they can do to unwind it. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, Stephen Pressfield talks about it in his book, The War. I think it's the War on Art or the War of Art, and he talks about you know resistance in a way. As you get so close, he talks about it and he frames it in terms of resistance that you know any number of things, including yourself and your own self destructive behaviors, will prevent you from doing the work and getting that. That manuscript finished, getting that you know that that uh, song written and finished, getting you on stage, starting the business, whatever that may be, and a lot of people I do believe are afraid of success. They they've been down for so long. And it's been easy to play that role. It's easy to step aside. I think so. You know what I mean? And yeah. suddenly when you've got to play the role of the successful one, it's so 
uncharacteristic and unnatural feeling that you say, uh, and I don't think anyone consciously does this. I think it's all subconscious behavior, but that's what we're talking about as far as deconstructing that negative feedback loop. This is the stuff that's holding you back. When you when you psycho- subconsciously run this through your mind, you're probably mm-hmm. thinking all of these things. They mean True. nothing. They really Ultimately, do. Yeah. They mean nothing. When you think about talent, right? Let's just go broad spectrum and say talent. I'm a professional drummer. You're a producer. You're you're also a dancer. You know, you've we've both done a lot of things professionally, a lot of things big, a lot of things small, right? At the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's subjective. What somebody thinks about what you do, we don't like everybody that we meet, right? For whatever sure. number, and for any number of reasons. I, I just don't know. Sometimes you just don't like the person. That's very natural. Sure. That's, that's part of the human condition. That's part of being human, right? For whatever reason. So why would we care so much about what they thought about our talent if in fact they might not like the way we look or the way that we speak or the way that we carry ourselves. So why should we care about what we do or how we play the drums or what we write in that book or what we put on that screenplay? Why should we care? Especially at this age. I think this is the age where we literally have to deconstruct and burn that feedback loop to the ground. Because again, if not now, when? We can do it now. You're going to be 50 right? I'm going to be 54. Mm -hmm. We are still so young with modern technology and medicine and science where we are right now. We literally have another solid, I would say a solid 20 Christmases left. Solid. That we could do big things. Mm -hmm. Why not now? No, makes sense. Why not now? Yeah, because true. No, no, no. It's just, I think because I, I, I think with me personally, um, or from what I can see is just this, this, the immediacy of success. Mm-hmm. I'm figuring, well, it didn't happen before. Like, well, I'll, I'll still try it. But I, 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 I do agree that there's, there's, at least for me, there's this level of self-sabotage because it's just like, well, um, I'm of a certain age, but I need to get out of my head and say, you know, and, and I do agree with you in theory. I just have to agree with it when it pertains to me. Yes, like exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm everybody's hero, everyone's champion. Yep. I'll be everybody's, like, I'll root for you, I'll root for everybody else. I just have this, and it is, and it is me, and I have to figure out how to do it, where it's like, when I talk about myself, it's just like, mm, I don't know. And I think the reason I, I decided to, to reach out to you is because I was, you know, I, I do want to promote what I do, mm-hmm. but I just Absolutely. have an issue with me. It's just like me. I'm right. proud of what I do, but right. it's like I have to be proud of myself. Right. So being the self-promoter Almost. is not necessarily your strong suit. No, okay. not at all. So, I, so, I can promote other things. I can promote you. I'll brand the hell out of you. I will be your champion. <laughs> well, but when it comes you. to me, I'm like a shrinking violet. I'm like, no. You know. And it's, it's, How difficult was it for me to find you? Not difficult at all. Exactly. I mean, I, w- I was on, I was on the internet, and I just saw that it, w- it was coming, and it was, you know, it was very accessible. You responded very, very you, immediately. I just, I was just when you said, you know, people, and I, what I found intriguing about it was, it, it's, I mean, it. Yes, you're targeting specific um, a demographic, but you're trying to basically say, it seems to me anyway that you know. Age is a number, but guess what? There are certain phases in your life that's right. that, that you're need to be now. celebrated. That's right. And, and you need to be celebrated. So I was like, okay, why Let's not? Celebrate. You know, that's I figured, right. you know, that's, you know, and that's why, that's why I said, I said the worst that could happen is that he doesn't reach back to me. I just let it go. But your response was, you know, 
very immediate, very, very responsive and sweet. And I was just like, oh, okay, maybe I do need to like pat myself on the back, you know, while I'm promoting something. Exactly. That is 100%. That is the reason why I created this show. And I'm glad you created it because like I said, if this reaches out to like the connection with Debbie, I mean, I know Debbie and I'm even thinking about maybe potential guests for you that, you know, have taken, have, haven't taken a step back from their careers and they're trying to relaunch their careers. I think, you know, you just put ideas in my head. I'm like, oh, maybe I should have some, you know, this person reach out to Doug and this person reach out to Doug because I think also when it comes to ageism also, I, I mean, I left Cablevision because I was offered a package and I saw the writing on the wall. Not that I could not be a viable employee. They didn't view me as a viable employee. I said, yeah. you know what? Mm-hmm. Like the whole, if not now, then when? I was yeah. like, I might as well, you know, if I'm going to leave, I might as well take money with me as opposed to being laid off or, you know, you know, whatever the case may be. So that's exactly. why. And it did give me the liberty to concentrate more on, you know, the the the, the filmmaking and, and taking over the wine business and doing all that other stuff. And it's just, you know, and I'm trying to incorporate, incorporate that as far as the wine, as far as entertainment and branding and private labels and using my advertising, you know, background, even though I was on the technical side of advertising, but I've seen enough that I could say, okay, I can brand this to do Absolutely. this. And so, yeah. Absolutely. And it's there. And Amanda, by the way, I, I just want to be clear, and I'm, I'm happy to say this to the world. It was a $25 ad that I ran it's a twenty-five dollar wow. ad. It literally was the introduction of this show. I put some graphics over top of it. Facebook said that's too many. Uh, I forget what the warning was. There was some warning it had to go under a, a review, an, an actual review by a human being, and it was and it was approved. And it was a twenty-five dollar ad. So when I think wow. about you having the the expertise that you have, having the access to the people that you have, for you to take that trailer, for you to target those types of people, you. And again, I hate to sound like a spokesperson for Facebook, but right now the ads are so cheap, it's so accessible, they're so granular, you can really, really dig as deeply into the exact type of people you're trying to find. And that's why, again, why I did that for this show, because I wanted to show people is the people that are on this show, they're not my friends. I mean, you know, before that ad ran, you and I hadn't known each other at all, but I can tell you right now, this is not the last time we'll be speaking. And let me ask you something, will you come back and will you update uh, our listeners. Uh, absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I would love to. I mean, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, you've given me a platform to promote myself. Why wouldn't I come back and, and, and give you an update? Absolutely. Before I let you go, where can listeners, where can potential investors, where can anyone that would really want to connect with you that way, where can they reach you at? The baseball documentary is on Facebook under at Panama baseball. Okay. Um, my wine company, we didn't get into that, but uh, I took over production, uh, a partnership on that. Um, we are CDVLI, which is Casa de Vinos, which in English means House of Wine. Okay. And you can reach out to me via LinkedIn under Amanda, uh, Amanda M. Ramirez on LinkedIn. Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, we're going to have you back. We're going to talk about indestructible uh, baseball in the isthmus. We're going to really 
deep dive on that and find out what's going on with that, what we can do to help, where we can be uh, helpful in the future. We're excited about that. So we really are. Good. Are you cool with that? Well, that's it for this episode. (laughs) Hey, if Amanda's story resonated with you, head over to our Facebook page at Third Quarter Gut Check. Ask Amanda anything about filmmaking. Ask me anything about getting on the show. Ask us anything, guys. We're in the third quarter, man. We're not holding anything back. Listeners, if you know anybody in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s that you think would appreciate this show, please share it with them. Until next time, I'm Doug Taylor, and remember, you're battle-tested and life-approved, and you certainly don't need anyone's permission to begin living the lives you were born to live. Take care. The Third Quarter Gut Check is sponsored by Trench University. Battle-tested, life-approved. To be a guest on the show, call 215-315-3148. That's 215-315-3148. Or send us an email to thirdquartergutcheck at gmail.com. That's 3rdquartergutcheck at gmail.com.